Praise God. Well, today I want to set the scene, really, for a new series, uh, which officially is going to launch in a couple of weeks. That's because, as already been said, next week we have Basil and Kathy with us, and I always like to just allow visiting ministry that's coming through just have that total freedom to speak whatever God's putting on their heart. So I didn't want to prescript what he was going to share. Uh, but we are launching a new series um, called Just Jesus. Just Jesus. I've been feeling in my heart for a while now that it's time to circle the wagons and just get all our focus on Jesus. Now you say, shouldn't we do that every week? How many people know there is so much stuff that wants to pull our attention? There are so much distraction. There are so many things that compete for our focus and our attention. And I've just been feeling in my mind, there are so many series that you can, you can even preach. I've just been feeling this thing in my heart that, do you know what, it's time just to come back and just say, do you know what, for a season, just Jesus. Just Jesus. We want to just preach Jesus. There's lots of great series that you could preach and lots of things you could talk about. But just preach Christ. Lift up who he is, the person of Jesus. This series is going to touch on all, uh, not all of, because you'll be here a long time, but the names and titles that belong to him. Worship teams, I want to encourage you to be intentional in picking the songs that get our eyes on him and sing about him. Friends, it's my genuine expectation that this could be one of the most exciting series we've ever done. It's my expectation that actually exciting stuff is going to happen. Because I believe that as we get our eyes on Jesus, things will begin to happen. Mike Pilavachi from Soul Survivor Church says something that really struck a chord with me. He said, keep talking about revival and you're likely to end up with disappointed and disillusioned people. Keep talking about Jesus and you are likely to end up with revival. Our greatest need in the church is more knowledge and experience of Jesus. Not more hype or a better show. Just Jesus. Just Jesus. You know, we're all called to live the life of faith. Hebrews 12 uh, talks to us about that. What it means to live the life of faith. And in Hebrews chapter 12, it touches on some of the challenges that we all face in wanting to live the life of faith. It says in the New Living Translation, I'll read to you, Since we are surrounded by such a great crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, one, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially, two, the sin that so easily trips us up, and three, let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. The author of Hebrews touches on three challenges to live in the life of faith. Three things we need to do to be able to live the life of faith. The first challenge is simply this. To live in the life of faith, we have to realize there are definitely things in our life that slow us down. I've preached on this before, so I'm, I'm only lightly touching on it, but I, I felt that God wanted me to re-emphasize this. That there is a need to shift some stuff in our life that slows our relationship with God down. Not just talking about sinful stuff, because he goes on at point two, as I mentioned, to talk about the sin that so easily trips us up distinctly. But things in our lives that slow us down are the things that get in the way of a greater love, 
a greater faith, a greater passion, and a greater relationship with the person of Jesus. Secondly, he talks about the challenge is that we all struggle with this. We all have some sins that seem to easily trip us up. I preached a message once called, What's Your So Easily? Anyone else like me ever find themselves with certain ways of thinking, mindsets, attitudes, choices, decisions, places, weaknesses, things you find yourself in, you think to yourself, I can't believe I'm back here again. I can't believe I've kind of been tripped up by this again. I'm thinking this way again. I'm acting this way again. I've got this battle going on again. I'm struggling with this same thing again. The so easily. The third challenge he touches on here is the challenge of facing that we all face is the rhythm of faithfulness and consistency in our relationship with God. Running, he talks about with endurance or perseverance, the image of a, of a runner hitting their stride. The image of a runner finding a consistent and steady pace. The challenge that we all have that at times it perhaps feels more like our relationship with God is one of spurts and stutters. There are times when you feel like it's going great guns. There are times when you feel like I'm not sure it's going at all. And so there's the challenge of trying to hit what you might call a relational stride. Getting into a place where we're in a steady and consistent pace with God. How many people like me know that can be one of life's biggest challenges? But with something we know is key. John 15 talks about there and about the relationship between Jesus the vine and us as the branches. And it talks about how there's a call upon us to be faithful. And if we are faithful, he will make us fruitful. How do you answer these kind of challenges? Is there a series that we, we need to preach on how to lose weight? I'll sign up for that one. Is there a series we need to preach on sins that easily, need to, that easily trip us up? Is there a series that we need to preach on hitting a relational stride and a consistent pace with Jesus? Three great sounding series, right? Yet Hebrews 12 verse 2 says this, We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. The champion who initiates and perfects our faith. The way to live the life of faith is to get your eyes on Jesus and keep them there. It's the solution to the challenge. So yes, we could take three individual series and preach about those, but actually, responding to the things I've just said, let me just quickly read this to you. God shows us here, things pick up speed and accelerate personally and corporately when we fix our eyes on Jesus. The stuff that normally gets in the way and weighs you down and holds you back shifts when you fix your eyes on Jesus. We experience freedom and victory over the stuff that easily and regularly trips us up when we fix our eyes on Jesus. We hit an enduring, consistent, faithful, fruitful relational stride when we... When we fix our eyes on Jesus, when we keep our eyes on him. So this series, Just Jesus, is really about us recognizing our greatest need is to know more and experience more of Jesus. Are there any amens in the house today? You see, getting to know more of him, getting to know him and 
recognizing who he is and recognizing more of who he is, friends, is absolutely central to how we honor him. The story that I remember hearing, one of the many stories I remember hearing just after the Queen's passing away, uh, one that really made me smile, and you may well have heard it yourselves. I went to a leader's day and a lady read it out and I saw a few people share it on Facebook as well. So if you've heard it, forgive me, but I want to read it to you to illustrate a point. So around 2005, the Queen and her personal protection officer, Dick Griffin, were walking alone in the afternoon in the hills near the Scottish Royal Castle, Balmoral. Two tourists approached them and engaged in conversation. Griffin recalls. There were two hikers coming towards us and the Queen would always stop and say hello. They were two Americans on a walking holiday. It was clear from the moment we stopped they hadn't recognized the Queen, which was fine. The American gentleman was telling the Queen where they came from, where they were going next and where they'd been in Britain. I could see it coming and sure enough he said to Her Majesty, and where do you live? And she replied, well, I live in London, but I've got a holiday home just the other side of the hills. And he said, well, how long have you been coming here? And she replied, I've been coming here ever since I was a little girl. So over 80 years. You could see the cogs whirring. And he said, well, if you've been coming here for over 80 years, you must have met the Queen. And quick as a flash, she said, I haven't, but Dick here meets her regularly. The hiker then asked Griffin what the monarch was like in person. Because I was with her a long time and I knew I could pull her leg, I said, oh, she can be very cantankerous at times. But she's got a lovely sense of humor. The next thing I knew, this guy comes round, puts his arm around my shoulder, and before I could see what was happening, he gets his camera and gives it to the queen. And he says, can you take a picture of the two of us? Then we swapped places and I took a picture of them with the queen. And we never let on and we waved goodbye. Afterwards, Her Majesty said to me, I'd love to be a fly on the wall when he shows those photographs to his friends in America and hopefully someone tells him who I am. <laughs> what is the point of the story? You cannot truly honor someone if you don't recognize or know who they are. And so actually, friends, Response always flows out of recognition. And so imagine how different this guy's response would have been if he knew who the queen was, if he recognized her. And so actually what I'm saying is it's taking the time to recognize and know and know more of who Jesus is that will help us really honor him for who he is. John Piper said, we prepare our hearts to receive Christ by recognizing who he really is. There's something here whereby Jesus begins to come in when we really begin to understand and recognize and honor him for who he is. So there's an age-old question, and this is just where I'm going to focus us for a little bit now. There's an age-old question that Jesus asked those who followed him that's a game-changing question that I believe he's asking us again who love and follow him today. And the question is this. It's familiar. You'll know it. Who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? Matthew chapter 16 says, When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, he asked his disciples, 
Who do people say that the Son of Man is? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. Then he asked them, but who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered, you're the Messiah, you're the Son of the living God. And Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock, upon this revelation, I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. The more I've dived into this since I felt God put it in my heart, the more fascinating I found the context in which Jesus asked this question. The first thing I want to draw your attention to is the significance of the place where Jesus asked it. We're told here that he asked it in a place called Caesarea Philippi. In Mark chapter 8, we're actually, the story, we're told a little bit more in terms of where they've come from to get to this place. In fact, accurately, Mark tells us they're actually in the villages around Caesarea Philippi. And he tells us that they have left Galilee and they've traveled to this place. Now, that's around a 25-mile journey. I believe that everything Jesus does is intentional and strategic. I don't think he kind of just like, oh, well, I happen to get that right, or maybe we'll just go there for the fun of it. I believe that Jesus intentionally and strategically chose to take them 25 miles to this particular place, to this city, to ask them this question. Because what they were coming into was a midst of a city that was known to be one of great power and influence. On the horizon was a city, actually, they some say, with a, an increasingly worldwide reputation. It was a city that was known and renowned for being a place that was full of other worldviews. It was renowned as a city with other religions and other forms of worship. It was a pagan city. It was well known especially for its worship of Greek gods with multiple temples devoted to them. And this was the place that Herod the Great had built a temple in honor of Caesar. His son Philip comes along and takes it up another level and really kind of makes that temple even more elaborate and, uh, and kind of even more flashy to the level where everyone is getting to know about it. It was a temple built to encourage the worship of Caesar as a god and demonstrate the power of the Roman Empire. This is the context in which Jesus is asking them with all that worldviews, other religions, forms of worship, power and influence, on, sitting on the, in the background, on the horizon, who do you say I am? Not only that, it also had a temple there most prominently dedicated to the worship of a god called Pan. Pan was a half-man, half-goat who played a flute. He was considered, just your average stuff, he was considered to be god of the wild. He was considered to be god of the great outdoors, god of the shepherds. And so you pray to him to bless that outdoor life and shepherd in and flocks and the great outdoors. And on top of that, we've got numerous other lesser gods that are worshipped and prayed. And all this is in the background. It's all on the horizon. See, I think there's something from this that is really important. Is that it's this. It's knowing who Jesus is when you are surrounded by other worldviews 
when you're surrounded by a culture that's so far removed from Him, when you're surrounded by other forms of worship, is absolutely crucial. When that is on the horizon and in the background, Jesus says, but who do you say I am? Because friends, the honest truth is the challenge to living the life of faith isn't that challenging in the world, in the, in the church. It's challenging in the world. Out in the world. When we're all in here together, it's not so hard to believe Jesus. But can we believe him out there? See, who is Jesus to you when you're the only believer at work? Who is Jesus to you when you're one of the few Christians at school? Who is Jesus to you when your husband or wife or family don't follow him? Who is Jesus to you when things don't go as you hoped they would go? Because knowing he is everything is everything. The second thing that was significant about this location, and and you're just kind of in my mind, is that actually in the background is a city full of people who don't know God, the true God. In the background there is a, a city full of people, unbelievers on the horizon and in the hill. Is it maybe just possible that Jesus walks from 25 miles until this city is on the horizon to say, hey, these are the people you need to go and reach with the good news. These people in the horizon of your life who don't know me, who have other things in their life that they worship, and I'm not just talking about gods, it can be other idols and things that come forth. Just reminding ourselves, these are the ones you're called to love. These are the ones you're called to reach. These are the ones I want you to go to. You see, you can't direct people in an uncertain direction. Have you ever had that? I was thinking about it. You know when someone stops you and they just say, do you know where so-and-so is? And you kind of do, but you're not sure. It's really awkward, isn't it? You're sort of like, oh, I think you kind of go that. And I just hate being it because I I really don't know. I'm not the best with directions as it is anyway. My wife will tell you that. You know, I'm kind of one of them guys that, Sadly, at times, if I don't know the way, I just think, well, the crowd know the way and I'll follow the way. I mean, there's probably another whole message in that in itself. You know, we went to Spain. This is not in my notes. We went to Spain on holiday and we were looking for a particular uh, square. Is it called like Orange Square or something? John, you've been there, haven't you? You you know where? Yeah. We were looking for this particular place and we got out of the car and and Claire's like, well, what's the way? And I'm like, I don't know. Follow the crowd. Like, that's a good life kind of of message. Just said, follow the crowd. They're all going. That's must be they're all going. Everyone says the ice cream's mega. Let's just follow the crowd. So we followed, honestly, right, we walked for so long. I thought, man, this place has got to be really good. Because, I mean, look, we're walking for a long time. We walked and we walked and we walked. And when we turned the corner, they were all going to school to pick up their kids. (laughs) And we just arrived at a primary school in the middle of nowhere. (laughs) Church, don't follow the crowd. (laughs) Most people are going that way. But you can't point people in an uncertain direction. But it's a different story when you know the way. You say, yeah, you go this way, that way. Friends, we're called, here we are, we're called to point people to the one we know. If we know him, we know where to point them. But if we're unsure. See, secondly, this wasn't just about where Jesus asked the question, but when Jesus asked the question. Because actually the question came after the disciples had been walking with him for a while. He didn't ask them at the start of their journey. 
He asked them after they'd been journeying with him. By this time already, Jesus has traveled all over teaching. The disciples have seen many miracles. They've seen the raising of a widow's son. They've seen the calming of a storm. Jesus walking on water, a man set free from demons, the feeding of the 5,000. They've even been sent out by Jesus to go and preach his name and demonstrate the kingdom. What's the point? The need to grow in our knowledge and understanding of who Jesus is. Never stops. Never stops. No matter how long you've been following him, there's so much more of him to be known. Jesus first asked his disciples, well, who do others say I am? They knew the answer to that question, right? Sorry. John the Baptist, they say, some say Elijah, some say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. So the general consensus at this point in time is the crowd recognize you as someone special. As a good person who does great miracles. But actually their understanding of who he was was wide of the mark. They were missing who he was. They were misunderstanding who Jesus was. They were guessing kind of really because they didn't know. They like to be around Jesus. We often see that. There's a crowd that often likes to be around Jesus. But then in the midst of that, we've got a bunch of disciples who did life with Jesus. There are those who like to be around Jesus. But when they're just around him or around what we might now call church, it's kind of like, well, we think he might be this or he might be that. John the Baptist, Elijah, Jeremiah. I just know he's good. I love the buzz. I love being around him. I love seeing what he can do. But Jesus says, okay, well, and I mean, listen, Jesus knew what the crowd thought. It's not like he's like, oh, I wonder what they're thinking. I mean, he knows what they're thinking, but he's leading them somewhere. He's saying, okay, well, there's a crowd consensus. But now I'm going to ask you who are closest to me. You who are doing life with me. Who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? You see, what mattered to him most was what those who, or who, uh, sorry, were that those who were closest to him were discovering who he is, who he really is. Jesus is not someone who chases public consensus. His heart is for personal confession. In the Greek, the emphasis is really on the you. It's more translated, and you? Who do you say that I am? On Jesus' heart is this burning question. Are those who love me and follow me growing in their relationship with me? Growing in, say, they love me and follow me? Are they growing in their knowledge of me? Are they coming to understand who I am? And Peter's confession wasn't the result of personal information that he's been gleaning from those around him, kind of figuring it out. It wasn't the result of him kind of just getting information from elsewhere. But it was a man who had personally come to see personally begun to grow and understand who Jesus is. Peter was honoured, uh, sorry, Jesus was honoured because Peter had recognised him. This is back to that point. He was blessed by what Peter was bringing because he was recognising who Jesus was. 
He says, then he asked them, but who do you say I am? And Simon Peter, kind of spokesperson for the disciples here, he's speaking up on their behalf. Answered, you're the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replies, you're blessed, Simon, son of Jonah, because the Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. I'm not answering a call. I'm just bringing something up that I read in a different version of the Bible today. Bear with me. Oh, dear. Here we go. Yeah, the, the, the message translation says this. My father, God in heaven, he says, you didn't, sorry, you didn't get that answer out of books or from teachers. You, my God, my father in heaven, God himself has let you in on the secret of who I really am. I'm coming back to that in a moment. See, it was as they were faithfully walking with Jesus, they're beginning to understand more of who this person, Jesus, really is. They begin with some understanding. I'll come back to that in a moment. But now they're beginning to see more and they're beginning to get greater clarity. And Peter's saying something to this effect in my prayer. Lord, as I spend time every day with you, I'm getting it. I'm growing in knowing and understanding who you are. You're the Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One chosen, set apart, equipped by God for a mission. You're the king. You're anointed to rule and re- lead and deliver God's people. You're the son of the living God. You are God in the flesh, born of God, conceived by the Spirit, God incarnate, God with us. And Jesus looks at him and says, Simon, that revelation is the very rock on which I'm going to build the church. Understanding who I am. See, friends, our relationship with God is ultimately about every one of us personally encountering the person of Jesus. You, you, you seeing His power. You seeing His authority. You coming to understand more of His glory. You appreciating His truth. You understanding His grace. It's about falling more and more in love with Him as you understand more and more of who He is. And as you recognize and as you learn and as you understand and as your eyes are open, you're able to honor Him as you see the wonder and the beauty of this incredible person called Jesus. John Piper says every person who has ever been converted to Christ was converted on the basis of a limited understanding. It takes a lifetime to grasp the depth and wonder of who Christ is. How true is that? Some of you have been walking with God, walking with Jesus way longer than I have. And yet I bet not one of us can say I know him all. I know everything there's to know. Oh, to know him, that is eternal life. I'm nearly done. Ban, perhaps you want to just come back. Verse 17. Just pop it back up for me if you can. That'll be fab. Jesus replied, You are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Some versions say you did not learn this by flesh and blood. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. The message paraphrases I read to you earlier on says, You didn't get that answer out of books. Or from teachers. It's not about knowing who this person is up here. Friends, the truth is you will meet some people in life who will know more up here than you. But that is not what matters. It's knowing him in here. Of course we want good theology and I'd encourage us to do that. But man alive, the Pharisees knew it so much up here. And Jesus was like, I'm not even impressed by that. Man looks at the outward appearance. What does it, I look at the heart. Look at the heart. 
So of course we want a good theology. Of course we want that understanding of who he is. But it's not all about learning all that stuff inside and out. It's about are you coming to know him? I don't know what's you see what I want to point to in verse 17 is really this and you'd have heard this before revelation flows out of relationship so he says God God's let you in on this the father's revealed this to you that's it's not coming out of books that's not coming out of information that's not coming out of mere mental assent that's not coming out of what you've studied that's not coming out of what someone else has said he's saying wow the father in heaven is opening your eyes to see who i am peter's relationship is one of progressive and growing and increasing revelation in understanding who jesus is more and more revelations coming to him Along the way, that's why, friends, the greatest investment you can make as a believer is in your relationship with God, is in simply spending time with him. I love in verse 21 that it says, From then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and suffer many things and so on. From then on, it was like as they were growing and as they were seeing, Jesus was like, now there's more for you. Now there's more. Now there's more. And yet he was waiting for them, it seems, to come to a place where the pennies drop in, their eyes are opening, they're understanding who he is, they're recognizing for who he is, and then just like, now I can tell you deeper things. Now I can show you more things. Now I can tell you more plainly what I've not been able to tell you before. Friends, there is so much waiting for you in Jesus. And so this series is about honoring him, recognizing who it is, getting to know more of him. As I finish, I, I heard someone just this week say this. He said, honor is rooted in three things. It's rooted in awareness, relationship, and coffee. Okay? And his point was this. Honor, I think I put it on the screen. Did I put it on the screen? Did I remember to put it? I didn't. Ah, sorry, it's my fault. Okay. Honor grows out of awareness. Awareness grows out of relationship. Relationship grows out of coffee. Time, essentially. So the more we spend time with someone, the more our relationship grows. The more our relationship goes, the more aware we become of who that person is. The more aware of them we become, the more we can honor them because we understand who they are. So when I'm saying just Jesus... I'm saying this, our honoring of Jesus grows out of our awareness. Our awareness grows out of our relationship and our relationship grows out of our time. So let's take some time at home and as a church family now for the next few months to give Jesus the time he deserves. Should we stand to our feet? You know, they say the great evangelist I, I finished a couple of times just recently on Billy Graham stories. Lived from 1918 to 2018 saw, now this is the thing, saw just over 3 million people saved. Preached the gospel to literally millions. Some speculate as much as like 215 million people around the world heard him preach the gospel. You're talking TV broadcasts. He went to over 185 nations with the gospel. But in 2011, he was asked in an interview 
Would he do anything different if he had his time again? Bearing in mind all he's seen, all he's done. And he said this, he said, If I had to do it over again, I'd spend more time in meditation and prayer and just telling the Lord how much I love him. Just Jesus. Let's just worship him as we close this morning. Team, perhaps you can send word through for our children to feel free to come through. But let's just finish by worshiping him. Who else would rocks cry out in worship? It talks about the joy of this song. I asked Andy if we can close this song. The joy is ours to sing a thousand hallelujahs. To sing to King Jesus. Can we just close out today by singing to him with every fiber of our being? Getting our eyes on him and lifting his name.